besides your research, your teaching classes? Mm -hmm. Okay, tell us what you're teaching. Yeah, so this semester I got to teach marine biology and I got to teach it for the first time, which was really fun. Um, we got a new classroom area this summer. So I was a little late with the lesson planning um, because we wound up moving classroom spaces two weeks before the semester started. So it was a bit of a rush to get unpacked and get everything organized. Um, but our marine biology class being in uh, Texas is all focused on the Gulf of Mexico wildlife, which is something that's very unique. Um, we do cover different habitats, sandy beaches, coral reefs, rocky intertidal, the bay, but everything has an emphasis on Texas species. And um, I think I learned just as much as the students. Um, I had been out to all these habitats multiple times, but I'll say that when you have to teach it to somebody else, it really makes you learn your material and your animals very well, especially uh, the fish. I did not grow up fishing being from Arizona. Um, so I had to learn my Texas fish very quickly. Um, and the really fun part about this class is we don't just have lesson plans each week, but this is one of the few classes at the university that has a field trip component. So uh, one of the weekends in October, we took 26 Aggies down to the coast of Port Aransas and with three 15 passenger soccer vans and uh, a whole bunch of field equipment. And they got to go dip netting in the salt marsh ah. and use a kick net. And then the next day we got to go out on the Katy which is the the boat at University of Texas Marine Science Center. And they got to do a water trawl and a plankton trawl and see all these fish. Um, and they got to go to the sandy beach and look at all the shells and, you know, what, it, what does a sandy beach dune actually look like? And what does the rock jetty look like? Um, and I think there's something to be said for getting outside and, seeing wildlife in its natural habitat versus just seeing a preserved animal in a jar. <laughs> well, I think you're making uh, an enticing argument for anyone interested in marine biology to come to Texas A&M. Yeah, um, it was a really, really fun time. Um, and so that's the reports I'm grading this week is there. They had to write up a report about each of the sites we went to, what animals did they see, what field equipment did we use? Because that's still very active in field science. And then they had to like make a map of all the locations we went to and make me a bar graph of how many species they found at each wow. site. Um, okay. And so, are you a tough grader, Maureen? <laughs> I think I'm fair. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a good answer. Are you teaching <laughs> master's level undergraduate? Uh, these are uh, upperclassmen, so juniors and seniors. Oh, okay. And it was really nice to have the students back in the classroom this fall. Um, before that, we had been doing online classes with COVID. And um, I think myself, like a lot of other people, struggled to be on the computer eight hours a day. So it was so nice to have the students back in lab and interact with them in person in a safe way and to be teaching hands-on again. So COVID impacted almost every aspect of American society. So tell us about the challenges that COVID presented to Marine. Yeah, that's a, a good, good starting point. So for me, 
COVID hit during the end of my third year of my doctorate. And I had plans to do a whole bunch of field work and research. And then all the state parks shut down. And the university was very strict about travel. And I myself was reluctant to travel with all the unknowns and um, lack of a vaccine at the time. Um, So during COVID, I actually wound up taking that time to focus on uh, writing my proposal for my comprehensive exams, um, which in academia is kind of like your advisor and the other professors on your research committee, three of them, they each give you essay questions to answer. Uh, You submit a written proposal about justifying your research, why it's important. Um, And then you have an oral defense in which it's basically, they ask you a bunch of questions about your your project, um, not only to make sure you're well-educated, but also to help you troubleshoot or avoid issues that they might foresee that you may not have thought of. Um, So over the summer, my friends and I, I had one friend who was writing her dissertation and another one working on a manuscript. So that was kind of my cohort over the summer, if you will. And uh, the girls and I would get together and we would write twice a week and we would go over to each other's houses and try different coffees. And that's what we did all summer. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, and then I, I also taught anatomy and physiology online um, ah. over the summer, which was very difficult uh, for something that's supposed to be hands-on. I had yeah. to get creative. Um So that kept my summer really busy. And then in the fall of 2020, I was on a research assistantship, but um, fly shortage and everything. Um, I wound up getting a minimal amount of work done. Um, I I passed my comprehensive exams, which was very good. I think I was just very stressed about that um, at the beginning of the semester. And then once I passed that, it was really a lot of talking to my advisor about planning for the next steps so that I was prepared when we could travel again. Um, So in the spring, I had some undergrad research assistants in the spring of 21. uh, And we did some beach trips. But with the winter apocalypse that happened here in Texas, that cold front that came in in February, um, ecologically speaking, that messed it up for us. Uh, we had to wait for the beaches to recover for like five weeks or so before we could even go back out again um, because it just really devastated uh, the local wildlife. Um, but I did have students work on other projects um, in the meantime that were either remote or just in the lab only. Uh, and then the summer is when things really kicked into high gear and I got approval from my committee for my methods. And I had six undergrad research assistants who are still working for me now. And uh, man, we were out at the beach and um, doing all sorts of stuff in the lab. It was it was like the craziest juggling act ever. Um, and then this fall, we so we have three sample sites uh, in Texas, three beaches, and we have to visit each one twice uh, in the fall, next spring, and next summer. Uh, so that we can get repeated measures. But to do that, we have to drive on the weekends because that's when everybody's available. Um, So I have a minimum of like four to five weekends each semester. 
factor where we're traveling and, and doing field work. And because of the distance that we drive, we usually coordinate and stay in a hotel overnight, but you have to bring all the sampling containers. And so it's like packing in the cars with 60 mason jars and 60 paint cans and flags and tape reels and uh, tweezers and all like all this stuff. Um, and then, you know, um, right now our lab is at the point where we have more sample. Like, so, so far this fall, we have been to each of our beaches twice. So we have 180 invertebrate sediment cores and another 180 just sand samples that we need to analyze. <laughs> um, and my students have been very diligent in going through those, but we basically are getting more samples than we can keep up with, which is a good place to be in. Um, and I have some students next semester who want to take on some more responsibility with those. Um, so I think one of the biggest misconceptions while we're on this topic is that people think that PhDs like do their research all by themselves alone in the lab in like the dark at midnight. Uh, and that's completely false. I rely so much on teamwork and help from my fellow students and my colleagues. Uh, like I, I could not process all these samples without them. <laughs> so I'm fortunate in that I can see Maureen in real time. And as she talks about her research and getting involved in this, perhaps you can hear the excitement in her voice. I can see the excitement in her face. And it's, it's really gratifying to see someone that's so inspired by their work. So how does one inspire all of your students to get involved in your projects? Yeah, great question. Um, so I actually reached out to the biology undergraduate advising office here at AM and put an announcement out in the listserv email uh, spring 2020. And I was like, I need volunteers. Um, we'll be going out to the beach for field work. You'll get lab experience too. And I have grant money to pay for gas and hotels. So that'll be covered. Um, you'll just have to use like your own car. And the amount of students who were interested in doing field research was phenomenal. Um, I actually had to go through and do interview processes and um, you know, talk to each student. And, you know, I think our lab is one of the few in the bio department that does um, field work. And then also plastics and marine biology is a very um, exciting topic to a lot of students. Uh, and I do have some students in the lab who are thinking of going to graduate school for marine biology. Uh, so the lab is a really great, great fit for them. Um, so, uh, and then also a lot of undergraduates at our university are required to take research credits uh, in one form or another. Um, but I always ask them, you know, it's, yeah, I know you're required, but like, are you passionate about this, right? That's always my, my main concern more than the credits. Um, and so far I've been really lucky to have some, some great undergrad research assistants. So not only do we marine the student, marine the researcher, and what I'm hearing is we also have Marine, the mentor. Yes. <laughs> but it's great. You know, they think that sorting through and, uh, you know, helping me count amphipods in a jar is like the best thing ever. And uh, I think the biggest thing to keep them motivated is um, we, we communicate a lot. I 
give them actual scientific papers to read to say, here's how I came up with this. What do you think about the paper? Um, I encourage a lot of discussion with my students so that, you know, hey, if we're doing something and you think there's another way we could be doing this or a way we can improve, improve upon the method we're doing, you know, everyone has ideas. And I think leaving that lab space open as a place for communication with everyone is super important. Um, and it seems like everyone's just ready to have that community again. That's a lot of feedback I've gotten from my my undergraduates is they really enjoy working with the lab in the lab with each other. Um, and then, you know, I always make sure that I express gratitude for the work that they put in because sometimes they come to me and they're like, I'm only doing three hours a week for one credit. And I'm like, yes, but that's over 15 weeks. Do you even realize how much work you're putting in? Yeah. That's a lot of time. So <laughs> don't don't only, say it like that. <laughs> well, so not only you're providing all this experience for them, however, I think you're leading also by example, and you're letting these people have a voice at the table. And they also, when people feel like they're being heard and have a voice at the table, they're much more apt to participate. Oh, definitely. And I also remind them that School comes first, just be in communication with me. If you have an exam week and you need to push your hours, that's fine. You know, we're, we're old enough here that I trust that you're keeping track of your time, right? So then also just giving them that trust that I, you know. So how did the COVID isolation and the all the self-imposed lockdowns affect Marine personally? Yeah, uh, that, that was hard. Um, I'm definitely a social person and I rely on going into the office to be productive. I like to have that separate workspace from home space. Um, so getting used to working from home was really hard. Um, I had to set actual time limits um, because I wound up struggling with insomnia in the first couple of months because I would just stay up working and working and working and not stop. Um, I wouldn't set those boundaries for myself. Um, and I, my sleep schedule got all off track, uh, because I didn't have anybody to meet or to like go see at least in person. Right. Um, I wasn't taking classes per se, but you could just roll out of bed 15 minutes before a zoom meeting and get on the meeting. Right. So, so even reinventing that, uh, commute time was important. I also did, um, outdoor boot camp during the pandemic. Um, so exercising outside in the mornings um, while wearing masks with a group of people at our student recreation center to get myself up and moving in the mornings and create, help create that schedule um, that I may not have had otherwise. Um, and then teaching also gave me a schedule um, because, you know, I had to be there for the students, but I really had to find myself going into my calendar and literally typing in everything, whether it was, you know, 9 to 10 a.m. read emails, 10 to 11, uh, work on drafting this PowerPoint, okay, and then 1 to 2, work on this. Like, I, I was one of those people who had to take the larger tasks and really break them down into manageable bite size pieces and then also actually schedule that time out on my calendar to hold myself accountable. 
that sounds like an excellent plan for not allowing and, yourself to get overwhelmed by the enormity of your tasks. That and also um, having a couple accountability buddies to text throughout the day because um, there were a couple PhD students who were also struggling. So we would just text each other and be like, my goal today is to do this. I'll text you at the end of the day and let you know what I actually got done. Um, well, and that really helped that's too. That's really an excellent way. I often deal with patients and I, we were realistic because we can talk ourselves out of doing anything. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I find that if we commit to somebody that we trust, respect, and most importantly, don't want to disappoint, we generally can, can keep that commitment. Yeah. And I think really uh, the accountability with the other PhD students and friends was really what helped me more than the scheduling on the calendar, because I was like, oh, I have to text person so-and-so and tell them what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not much into time traveling, but Let's talk about a post-PhD, Maureen. Yeah, um, great question. So ideally, um, I would like to move back to the Northeast or the Northwest because I'm a non-driver. So city life for me is ideal as far as maintaining independence um, and just being able to get to and from work or, you know, run errands, et cetera. Um, and then ideally, I want to be a research scientist and I want to continue on this path of plastic pollution and climate change. Um, I didn't think I'd have to learn as many skills as I've been learning in my PhD. Um, I've learned everything from uh, analy analytical chemistry to wet chemistry to, um, you know, like crazy statistics stuff uh, or like visualization of plastics. Um, so I've, I've really learned a lot of cross-discipline skills with this, uh, and I think I'm really invested in it now, um, and I would like to keep tackling, you know, this area of research in the future. So to kind of wrap things up, uh, I hear a lot about that when you speak, I can hear just hear in your voice, it's good to be me. So what's good about being Marine today? Oh. Um, I like that my name rhymes with what I do. Because <laughs> uh, it's fun introducing myself. Oh, I'm Maureen, the marine biologist. <laughs> I'm really fortunate to have a close relationship with my family and friends who love me. And um, I, I really enjoy the fact that I have a job where uh, it's not just desk time, but I get to go out and interact with nature. And I think that's the best part. Um, I get to interact with nature. I get to interact with people. I get to, there's the desk part of it. But I, I think my work has really a little bit of everything. And I couldn't ask for a different job, even though it's a lot to juggle. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, I often share not any great details or your name, but I often talk about a young lady who, uh, we always talk about recovery stories and that everybody's in recovery from something and the obstacles that you've overcome uh, and succeeded and the resilience that you've shown in spite of some, some hard times, Maureen has been uh, inspiring to other people. And I thank you for that. So at the end of every podcast, we offer a free prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. 
Do a kindness for yourself. Do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. And also, try to avoid plastic wrappers and plastic cups. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.